Exodus chapter 24, we will read the entirety of the chapter. I will pray and we will dive right in. Moses writes, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy elders, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. that beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone that the law and the com- with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Indeed, Father, it is around your word that we are gathered here today. It is because of your Son, the Word incarnate, that we are able to come before you in worship today. I pray, Father, for your blessing and anointing on my mouth, on my mind, on my tongue, as I seek to rightly divide your word of truth for your people. Pray that I would be nothing more than a mouthpiece, speaking the truths that you have laid forth in your text. I pray for these people, that you would open their hearts, their eyes, and their ears to hear your word spoken to them today, and that all of us together would be built up and encouraged around your word, all because of Christ and because of what Christ has done, in whose name we pray. Amen. So you folks have been working through this invigorating, enthralling book of Exodus. I'm I'm sure, at least I hope, that by now you've seen what a wonderful book it is, what glorious truths there are laid forth in this text. And, And sometimes, I'm sure you've experienced this, it's a little confusing, it's a little weird, it seems a little wacky, and you might find yourself reading it going, so what does this have to do with me? Well, At the same time, a whole lot, and at the same time, not much. 
You see, as Reformed believers, we, we hold to the conviction that all of Scripture is about Christ, that all of Scripture is about Jesus, that in the Old Testament we have Christ concealed, and that in the New Testament we have Christ revealed. And so, so even when we come to texts such as this where there's this, all these guys that are called on a mountain and there's clouds and fire and blood and a sacrifice and this weird stuff going on, we can know for sure, because Scripture tells us so, Somehow, some way, this is pointing us to Jesus. Now, what it has to do with us is simply this. Jesus was a necessary sacrifice. One, because God had to create it before the foundations of the world. But, but two, because we are sinners. As Jonathan Edwards said, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Sinners in need of saving grace. Saving grace which can only be found in the blood of Jesus Christ shed on our behalf. So for us to come to any text without that at the forefront is to come to the text wrongly. We come to this text today as sinners in need of saving grace, and saving grace offered only in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Throughout the book of Exodus, I'm sure you've seen how Moses functions as the mediator, foreshadowing the ultimate mediator between God and his people who would be Jesus. And so when we come to this text today and we, we see Moses, what we see is the mediator. And in verses 1 and 2, what we see is this. We see the mediator singled out or the mediator selected. It says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. We have four parties in this first part as the mediator is singled out and the first party and the most important and prominent party is God himself this omnipotent omniscient majestic righteous holy sovereign God the creator and sustainer of all things as was, as was prayed in the prayer of dedication the covenant making and the covenant keeping God the first and most important priority party in the first few verses. Next, we have the people. The absolute distinction, the absolute contrast to this holy, omnipotent, omniscient, righteous, just God. The people who it says shall not even come up with him. Now, if you remember, you hearken back to Exodus 20. You see where the Lord spoke from the mountain and they heard thunder and saw lightning and heard rumblings. And that's what they heard when God spoke. And what was their response to Moses? You, you speak to us. Don't, don't let God speak to us. And their sin and their depravity, they could not even stand before the voice of the Lord, let alone the actual presence of the Lord. And so these stiff-necked, crooked-hearted Israelites are left away from the mountain. Now the third party is Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and these 70 elders of Israel. Now they are at the very least invited up the mountain. There's some, some limit to how far up they're welcomed, but they are nonetheless invited. Coming along as the elders or the overseers of Israel. Foreshadowing, as you probably saw back in Exodus 18, this concept that we have today in, in our churches of elders who oversee the people who shepherd the hearts of God's people. So we have these elders here. But again, even they are not welcomed all the way up to the mountain. But what does the text say regarding Moses, the fourth party in these first two verses? 
Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. The mediator is singled out. The mediator is selected. This this one who by God's favor God chose in his divine will and purpose to mediate between God and his righteousness and the people in their unrighteousness. So the mediator is singled out. And then in verse 3, the mediator speaks. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The mediator speaks. And, and logically so, this mediator who's been put between God and his people, when he speaks, the people rightly respond. We're familiar with this concept, right? When you were a child, your mom or your dad told you to do something, and what was the proper response? Yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. Not yeah, not okay, no, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And then what were you expected to go do? You, you were expected to go do what you were told to do. Shortly before we came up here, I told my daughters, you need to sit still, you need to sit quiet, you need to be respectful. Caroline, put your hand down. And you need to do what you are told to do. You work jobs now, and you go to your work every day, and, and your boss tells you what to do. And what are you supposed to respond with? Yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. And then you go do what it is that you are supposed to do. The mediator speaks, and the people respond. Now, I want to be careful here because I certainly don't want to imply that the entirety, every single one of these people that, that spoke were speaking dishonestly. We, we know certainly from the New Testament text that some of these spoke this word in faith, trusting in the one who Moses was foreshadowing, trusting in the shadow that was put, or in the substance that was put forth in the shadow that we see in, in the covenant that's been given in the previous chapter. So certainly, yes, there's an essence of responding in faith for some. But as you've seen already throughout Exodus, and as you'll see throughout the rest of the Old Testament, just as quickly as these words were spoken, these words that the Lord has spoken, we will do, Just as quickly did they turn and not do them. Just as quickly as the covenant was established, was the covenant broken on behalf of the people. As a matter of fact, spoiler alert, while Moses is up on the mountain at the end of this chapter and he begins to get the instructions for the tabernacle and and for the law and for the worship of the people, what's happening down at the foot of the mountain? The people are committing treason. The bride is committing adultery against her husband who has came and who has purchased her. And so the mediator speaks and the people respond. But even in their response, they're lacking. In their sin, they're not able fully to keep these words that they declare, that they will keep all the words that the Lord has spoken and will do them. And so in this this failure of these people, in our failure, then what must happen? happen when a word has been spoken which we are to obey and we have failed to obey it now what are we in need of but for somebody to act and so the mediator acts in verse 4 Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord sorry it's it's kind of funny when you read it in its flow because because Moses speaks and the people say, all the words the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. It's almost as if Moses said, okay, if you say so. And then proceeds to write the words down. Now they're, now they're written. 
It says he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Moses' first act on this, this proclamation to the people that they would keep the words that have been spoken to them through the mediator is as the mediator to act. And what does he do? But he comes and he, and he builds an altar. And, and what is the purpose of an altar but to offer up a sacrifice? What is the function of an altar but to, to proceed in worship? And so Moses, the mediator, acts here and he acts in leading the people in worship. Not only an altar, but it says that he establishes 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. What is being indicated here is that it is with these covenant people that this covenant has been made. It's not, at this point at least, in, in, in redemptive history, a covenant made with everybody. A covenant made with all nations. It's certainly not a covenant made with, with the Canaanites whose land they're about to enter and conquer. No, this is a covenant established with Israel. And so 12 pillars are put up regarding the 12 tribes of Israel as the people with whom this covenant is made. And so Moses, the mediator, acts. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Moses the mediator acts, he sends young men to go and to gather animals to to perform the worship ceremony that was prepared in this altar and in these pillars and and the oxen are brought and they're offered up as a burnt offering. And what's happening here, you, you, you see this later as you moved into Leviticus, is a peace offering. What's happening here in in Middle Eastern literature written around the same time, we find that what's happening is is a treaty made between two covenanting parties. That that you have God, the one who has ultimately conquered, the one who is ultimately victorious, establishing a treaty or a covenant with these people over whom he has conquered. There's an agreement here of them to keep the covenant that God is establishing that's shown not only in their word and their proclamation they would keep the covenant, but that's shown in these sacrifices being offered, in this peace offering, that there is, there is peace between us. I can't help at this point but think of the opening scene of that amazingly cinematic feature, The Godfather. Am I alone in this room? Anybody else seen? Better be careful with my analogies today. In the opening scene of The Godfather, you, you have this what's clearly a party going on, and the camera kind of moves through the crowds, and it moves through the party, and it, it eventually it moves into the house. And you figure out pretty quick, okay, I think there's like a wedding or something happening. And, and it moves to the house, and it moves through these hallways and through these doors. The next thing you know, you're in this dark room. And there's just this majestic figure sitting on the other side of this dark table. And there's men in the room who, because of the lighting, are are like dark, kind of overshadowed figures. You can't really even make out faces. Maybe that's due to the quality of the film, or maybe that's due uh, to intentionality on the writer's part. But but either way, you, you enter into this room. And what the Godfather is doing sitting on the other side of the table is he's hearing requests. He's he's hearing askings of him from other people, mostly people who have attended this wedding. The very fact that you're allowed to enter into the Godfather's room is because somebody has allowed you to enter in to even make your request in the first place. Your ability to sit at the other side of his desk was an establishment that there was, there was peace. Now, if you've seen the whole movie, you know that that peace can quickly be broken and ruined. But at least at that point, there was peace. 
Some of you may have even experienced this in your, in your own life where you've had turmoil with a friend or a relative or a brother or a sister or a parent, whomever. And you seek to reconcile. And what do you often do around that reconciliation? Hey, let's go to lunch and talk about this. Hey, why don't you come over to my house for dinner and we'll talk about this. What is happening is there's peace between the people. So this, this burnt offering, this peace offering is put forward. Moses, the mediator, mediates both in word and in deed. And he brings these offerings and their sacrifice. And then verse 6, And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. And so blood is put in presumably two basins. And in one basin, the blood is used to throw against the altar. What's this indicating? That, that God is the active party. He's the one initiating this covenant. And so then in verse 7, he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Here it is again, this promise that they will keep these covenant words. And they say this, and then verse 8, notice how quickly this takes place. Moses reads the words of the book of the covenant. They claim that they'll obey it and that they'll keep it. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Blood has been shed to establish this covenant. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that without the shedding of the blood, there is no remission for sins. It is through blood sacrifice that God has ordained that sin would be atoned for. And so now these people stand on the other side of this altar before them is the altar with blood sprinkled on it. Between them is this mediator acting in between this righteous God and these unrighteous people. And on them is this blood of the covenant. Showing now this covenant complete and official. Now and oftentimes in this time in history, once a covenant was established, there would then be a celebration. That, that we've reached an agreement. There's peace between us. And so the mediator, continuing in his acting in verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. Harkening back to verses 1 through 2, where it was told, this is what's going to happen. You, 74, are coming up the mountain. So they go up, and they saw the God of Israel. Now watch what happens here. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Now you may be saying to yourself, well, great, that's exactly what they were asked to come up and do. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this, just what we began with, this holy Righteous, omnipotent, omniscient, covenant-making, covenant-keeping, creating, sustaining God who stands in such, I mean these words even pale to describe it, who stands in such stark contrast to the people whom he has created, who have rebelled against him, who have sinned, who have fallen. People such as that are actually invited up this mountain. And not only just invited up this mountain to be in his presence, but to actually see him. In his presence, to actually see his feet in the pavement on which they walked, pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. It was presumed that were you to see God in his holiness, that you would die. 
In our sin and our depravity, we cannot even behold the glory of the Lord without dropping dead. But yet, these people are invited up to the mountain to feast with God, to enjoy a meal with the Lord, presumably to eat this burnt offering that had been sacrificed on these altars that Moses had had established. And God does not even lay his hand on them. Rather, they beheld God and they ate and they drank. So the mediator singled out, he selected. The mediator speaks and the people respond. And the mediator acts on behalf of the response of the people. And then finally, in the close of the chapter, the mediator is summoned. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. This chapter serves as a transitional chapter between the book of the covenant given and the preparations of the tabernacle. You see here the centrality of the word of God in the worship of the people of God. That a tabernacle is worthless apart from the word's establishment in it. Our worship is worthless apart from the word being central to the worship that we bring before the Lord. And so these tablets of stone, the two tables of the law, are to be given to Moses so that might be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Spoiler alert number two, that last part doesn't go well at all. Aaron here, presumed to be pretty capable, proves later, not so much. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Presumably this is the same cloud that had journeyed with the people in the wilderness as they crossed the Red Sea and as they came into the wilderness where they are now journeying. The glory of the Lord, verse 16, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So we see this mediator summoned. He comes up the mountain and and the glory cloud covers the mountain and he's summoned after six days into this cloud and he beholds God's glory, this this glory of the Lord that is as as a devouring fire and he's there on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now this phrase 40 days and 40 nights is a Hebrew idiom. It can be taken literally or it could just mean a significant period of time. I don't care if it means five seconds. The whole point is this guy comes into the actual presence of this holy, righteous, omnipotent God. He's there 40 days and 40 nights. So here we are at the end. What do we do with this? I mean, we've heard snippets throughout, right, regarding God's holiness, regarding our sin. God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Most of you, I assume, are smart enough to know that where we're going here is that that the Israelites were a foreshadowing of the ultimate covenant people of God whom he would purchase for himself. And so what do we do here? Well, what we do is we come to this text and we, we think back through what it has shown us. And we ask ourselves, how does this point us to Jesus? Well, just like so. Verses 1 through 2, the mediator is selected or summoned. You see, Christ 
is the Lamb of God shed before the foundations of the world. Christ is the one who has been ordained, who has been selected to be the mediator between God and his people. Moses was a mere shadow of the substance of what Christ would be. Christ is the fullness of this mediating party. The mediator in verse 3 speaks, And Christ has come as the Word incarnate to speak words of life to His people. He has come and He has established His Word and, and has built His church on the foundation of His apostles and His prophets, men who were called and chosen to go out and to preach the Word to all nations, to the people of God. And we, we sit here today as people of the Word, gathered around the Word, spoken to us, expected to respond in obedience. Not that in our obedience we might earn some favor with God, not because our obedient works can somehow earn some righteousness on our behalf, but purely out of an attitude of gratitude, out of an effect of worship because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Christ has spoken, and in His speaking we are expected to respond in faith to what He has done. Christ, our mediator, has acted. He has come as the Word incarnate. He has lived the life that we could not live, and He has died the death that we deserve, taken the wrath of God on our behalf. Christ is the ultimate altar that is put forth. Christ is the sacrifice that is sacrificed on our behalf. It is His blood that is shed on our behalf, and it is with His blood in the waters of baptism with which we are sprinkled and made clean because of what Christ has done. Christ comes and establishes a new and better covenant. Jeremiah chapter 30 points us to this. Isaiah 59 points us to this, that, that this old covenant that the people broke and could not keep, but that was meant to point to this new and better covenant, Christ comes and he establishes that covenant. And God promises us that the word in the new covenant will not depart out of our mouths or out of our children's mouths or out of the mouths of our children's children. Christ is our ultimate and better mediator. Christ establishes a new and better covenant meal, which we are then invited to gather around in worship of him. In just a few moments, we will partake of the table. This table is the fulfillment of su in substance of the Passover meal, yes, and of this meal that the elders ate on the mountain. But guess what? It's not just the 74 that are invited up to eat, but all who come and call upon him by faith are invited to come to this table. And this table itself foreshadows and points forward to us of the marriage supper of the Lamb in which all the people of God will gather together around a meal in celebration of our bridegroom who has come and who has purchased us. And we, his new and better people, who he promises he will present before God without wrinkle or spot or blemish or any such thing. Unlike these stiff-necked people who are committing adultery at the foot of the mountain while the covenant's being established, Christ comes and he establishes his covenant eternally. And we come before him in worship because of what he has done and Christ, our ultimate mediator, is summoned. He is summoned. We, we see a couple of pictures of this in the New Testament. First of all, Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights to receive the word of God and to take it to the people. 
Christ, the Word incarnate, came and he went and did battle on our behalf against Satan, the very enemy himself, for 40 days and 40 nights. And as the Word incarnate proclaimed the Word to the serpent, that snake in the garden who tempted our first parents and fell, but Christ conquers and wins that victory on our behalf when we weren't able to. And it is Christ who is summoned up the mountain, if you will, up to the right hand of the Father where he sits in in mediation, in intercession on our behalf. So what do we do with this text? We look for Jesus and we see Jesus and we are compelled in this text to trust in Jesus. Not our own works, not what we can do, not how often or how long or how many times we've read our Bible Not how often or how many times or how long we pray. Not how frequently we come to church or how well-dressed we are when we come here. Not how nice we are to other people around us. Our righteousness isn't found in our ability to be good moms or good dads or good children or good brothers or good sisters or good pastors or good elders or good church members. Our righteousness and our ability to come before this holy God is founded on the righteousness of Christ and that righteousness alone. Praise be to God that is not dependent on our ability alone to say all the words the Lord has spoken we will do as if that were the end of it. Rather, Christ comes and speaks a better word about us in his blood, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and in one day, praise be to God in his return for his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for your word that points us to Christ that shows us Christ put forth on our behalf, that shows us that our ability to come before you is not dependent on our own works, is not dependent on our own righteousness, but is dependent on the work of your Son. We thank you, Father, that by your Spirit you enable us to come to this Christ. You enable us to come in proper worship of your great and your holy name. For this, Father, we are humbled and we are thankful. Let us live in light of this good news. In Christ we pray. Amen.